we get started tonight, before we dive into Luke chapter 5, a couple things. Uh, one, also just a reminder about our park ministry that's going to be going out on Saturday morning, the 20th of October. That's a busy day. We've got our church picnic in the afternoon, the park ministry in the morning. And uh, again, we're uh, just asking if any of you have Bibles lying around your house you're not using that you could bring in and give to the park ministry. They're collecting them on Tuesdays and Sundays. You can see Mark about that. He'd be glad to take those Bibles off your hands as they go out and give them to, to people who could really use the strength and encouragement of God's Word. And then also, I'd like us to just pause as a church family for a moment and uh, ask prayer for uh, one of our brothers in Christ. Uh, Jeff and Teresa Lindquist were here earlier. Jeff has not been feeling well really all afternoon, and I believe that Teresa is taking him now to the hospital. Um, so uh, I just want to pause for a moment and lift up Jeff in prayer and, and let our church family know that, that uh, I know that Jeff and Teresa would certainly appreciate uh, your prayers tonight uh, on behalf of Jeff. So let's just take a moment and, and pray for Jeff. Lord, we're so thankful that we can come to a God and even though we have no idea what's going on in Jeff's body, Lord, we, we come to a God that knows exactly what's going on and you created the human body. And you're also the great physician and you're also the healer. And so, Lord, we pray tonight for healing for, for Jeff to relieve, Lord, whatever is, is t taking place within his body that's just not making him feel well at all. And Lord, we just pray that he would feel your touch and feel your presence and that Jeff and Teresa both would sense your power and presence uh, in their life in a very special way uh, as they travel to the hospital. And may they know, God, that their church family is, is praying for them and, and supporting them in, in any way that we can tonight. And God, our thoughts and prayers go with Jeff and Teresa this evening. And Lord, we're just so thankful that when any of us, Lord, have needs like this, that we can come to the God of the universe who loves and cares about us more than we'll ever know, and we can place each other at your feet and into your hands. And so, God, that's what we want to do tonight with Jeff. And we thank you, God, for the privilege of being able to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Luke chapter 5, as we continue through our study of Luke, there's outlines uh, of Luke 5 on these tables. If you need one, we've got extras lying around. We don't want anyone who wants an outline not to have it. I think there's at least one for everybody if you want it. You don't have to share. As we come to Luke chapter 5, I divided it out here, and you'll see even in the notes that Jesus really is dealing on a personal level with people tonight. Jesus and the fishermen, Jesus and the leper, Jesus and the paralytic, and Jesus and the tax collector. And it reminds us that Jesus wants to deal with us on a very personal level. He wants to meet us where we are. And He wants to invite us to be part of, of Himself and, and what His plan and purpose is for us and even on this earth. So as we come to Jesus and the fishermen tonight, 
let's just remember something before we dive into this. These fishermen sort of were casual followers of Jesus at this point. None of them had had really become full-time committed followers of Christ. And when we're introduced to them here in chapter 5, it's very interesting as you see the juxtaposition between the crowds that are crowding around Jesus at this time, pressing Him, and the fishermen who are sort of like... They're still out there, you know, getting their boats in from a long night's fishing, and they're, they're tending their nets, and, and you can probably get the picture that they're sort of listening maybe to what Jesus is saying out of one ear, but, you know, they're not fully in with Jesus at this point. And by the end, you're going to see how Jesus draws these fishermen who are at this point sort of at a distance, and he's going to bring them closer to him. Um, one of the things that, that I wanted to share with you guys just again is by way of encouragement is you may know of somebody, a family member, a friend right now who's sort of on the fringe with God. They're sort of at a distance. They're sort of keeping God right here like the fishermen did. Be encouraged that even though these fishermen started out at a distance, they were keeping their distance from Jesus at this point that by the end... God had drawn these fishermen, if you will, into his net as well. And God wants to do the same thing with your family member or your friend. Notice Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and the crowd was pressing around him to hear the word of God. Boy, wouldn't it be great today if people, so many people wanted to hear the word of God that they were pressing around it, that churches couldn't couldn't have enough room to hold people that were coming to hear the word of God. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked Simon to put out a little way from the shore. And Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. So again, notice the crowds were pressing. The crowds were right up against Jesus, but the fishermen were sort of keeping themselves at a distance. So even in the, the way this scene presents itself, again, God is sharing with us some great things that are about to happen. Because notice then in verse 4, when he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he says to Simon, put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Now notice here that Jesus is giving Simon both a command and a promise. He's not telling Simon to go out and lower his nets and try to catch fish. He says, go out, lower your nets for a catch. In other words, if you listen to me, Simon, you're going to get a great haul of fish. When God gives us a command, He many times gives us, gives us His promises that go along with those commands in order to encourage us to believe and trust and have faith in Him. You'll notice there in the notes, I put recognizing one's inadequacies inadequacies and needs. I can't talk tonight. Um, Because that's what we're going to come to tonight in this passage, is really, to me, the next major point. Because you'll notice that Simon sort of uh, balks at what Jesus said. He said, Simon answered, Well, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. And you sort of get the idea that, 
you know, Simon and these other guys, they're the professional fishermen. Jesus is the carpenter from Nazareth. And even though Peter calls him master, it's certainly a term of respect and recognizing Jesus' authority that Peter doesn't quite know yet who Jesus really is. He's going to discover that in just a moment. And that's part of what's going to lead Peter and the other fishermen to abandon everything and become full-time committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what God wants to do in our lives, like he wanted to do in Peter's and, and the other fishermen, is get them to see that even in areas where they think they're experts, Jesus still knows more. And that we always need to depend upon Jesus. And like many of us too, we can find ourselves in life just trying to work harder to make things work. It, it wasn't like Peter and the other fishermen didn't work hard. They worked hard. They toiled all night. And like any fisherman, good fisherman would know, if you're going to catch fish, they're going to be biting at night. They come up to the surface at night. They're not going to come up to the surface during the day. So they have to be willing to see that even though they're the fishermen and supposedly Jesus is not, they're the experts that they still have many inadequacies and needs, and they need Jesus more than they realize. They need to depend upon Him. And they need to realize that following Jesus and listening to what Jesus says is going to get them a lot further than all the hard work that they put into human effort-wise without Jesus. That's the way it is a lot of times. We can work really hard without Jesus and not get very far. Jesus is trying to teach him, if you just listen to me and do what I tell you to do, it's, it's going to get you a lot further. And so notice, I will commend Peter for this. He says, but at your word, I will lower the nets. And you can just sort of imagine too, I'm sure that these other fishermen were scratching their heads going, but Peter, we just cleaned out the boats. We just, we got the nets all... We're going to go back out. We haven't caught anything all night. Are you kidding me? This guy tells us to go out and, and lower our nets and we're going to catch fish. We've been out there all night, haven't caught anything. But I'll give Peter one thing. It's like, okay, you said it, I'll do it. And so notice, when they had come, or when they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets started to tear so they motioned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they were about to sink. Notice there in your notes, I have next, that Jesus is providing ample evidence, ample basis for their faith. Again, faith is not blind. God does not ask us to trust in something without any foundation. And in a, in a moment, Jesus is going to summon these men to leave their profession, maybe the only profession they ever knew. He's going to ask them to leave financial stability, if you will. And he's going to ask them to trust him in following him to meet their needs. And so in giving them this great catch of fish, he is giving them evidence and, and a basis for the fact that he can be trusted, that his word can be trusted. 
that they don't need to trust in, in their anything earthly, any human effort, any human ingenuity. All they have to do is put all of their trust and hope in Jesus, and He's going to take care of them. And He gives them that evidence by this unbelievable catch of fish in the middle of the day, not at night when the fish would normally be biting. And Jesus isn't supposed to be an expert fisherman at all. You'll notice this leads to seeing oneself in Jesus in an entirely different light. And if I had to say what was the one thing in this passage of Scripture in the first 11 verses that stuck out to me, this is it. Because again, you'll notice that, that when this happened, that the Bible says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And you'll notice back in verse 5, Simon called Jesus master. Again, a term of respect, a term recognizing authority. But notice up in verse 8, he's now the Lord. And there is now a quantum leap for Peter here in this passage. Jesus goes from simply being a master, a great teacher, someone I should listen to because of his, his intellect and insight, to the supreme master of the universe. He's now the Lord. And he sees Jesus in a whole different light. That's what Jesus wants to do with all of us. He wants to reveal himself to us, who he really is, so that we can see Jesus for who he really is. Because if we see Jesus for who he really is, then a lot of the things that we struggle with and worry about, and all of that would, would be put in different places in our lives if we just saw Jesus for who he really was. And certainly, the more we see Jesus, the closer we get to Jesus, the more we're going to see the inadequacies and the needs and even the sinfulness of ourselves. When Peter said, Lord, I, I shouldn't even be around you. I'm a sinful man. By the way, the word sinful here, is a word that Peter uses to describe somebody especially wicked. Somebody who is stained to the extreme. Peter said, wow. A very real byproduct of us getting closer to Jesus is humility, according to the Bible. A proud person can't be close to Jesus because there's no way a person can be close to Jesus and remain proud. There's just no way. Because we begin to see who we really are the closer we get to Jesus. Just like Peter did. And yet notice that Jesus wants them to face their fears. All who were with him, verse 9, were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's business partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Literally in the Greek, stop being fearful. From now on, you'll be catching people. Notice that Jesus is taking Peter right where he is as a 
sinner stained to the extreme, an extremely wicked sinner, and saying, you've got potential. I want to use you. I want you to be a fisher of men. But Jesus says, you've got to be willing to face your fear and stop being so fearful. And obviously, let's face it, there were going to be some, what we would call normal fears here. These guys probably, as I said, only have ever known fishing as a way to support themselves and their families. And now Jesus is going to ask them to leave that and trust Him that they're going to be okay? I mean, you and I all know that, you know, when, when we're out of a job or, or we're looking for a job or whatever, it, you know, it's just natural to, to struggle with trusting God to, to meet our needs. And so we can totally understand why, at least in some ways, they were fearful. Maybe they also were fearful of the fact that, again, especially Peter, feeling like he was so sinful, how could he ever be a companion and an associate of Jesus who's so holy, he's the Lord? And yet, again, Jesus says, stop being fearful about that. And then finally, believing in Christ's all-sufficiency. Everything that happened in this passage was leading them to see Jesus for who He really was and the fact that He is the all-sufficient Savior so that they could get to a point in verse 11 when they had brought their boats to shore, they were willing to leave everything and follow Him. Wow. That meant they were going to let go of anything that hindered. They were literally going to disregard it. They were going to sort of turn their backs on that life. And they were going to totally now be committed followers of Jesus. That's quite a turn. And yet it was because they saw who Jesus really was. And they were convinced that He is our all-sufficient Savior. I don't know what each of you are dealing with, what you're going through tonight, but I know what the Scriptures teach about Jesus. And that is that He's our all-sufficient Savior. And whatever you need, whatever you need, He's sufficient. We just need to go to Him and receive from Him whatever it is. And He is able to supply us with everything that we need. My God is able to supply us with all that we need for life's journey. So Jesus and the fishermen. Then we come to Jesus and the leper, beginning in verse 12. This is a pretty powerful story as well. Leprosy, I don't have time to go into it tonight, but leprosy was a terrible disease. Literally, people died an inch at a time. In leprosy. Leprosy totally isolated people. It totally put them out of, out of other people's lives. Uh, it was just awful. People shunned them. They obviously weren't able to take part in any, any fellowship or any religious ceremony or anything. I mean, they were just put on the outskirts of society as far away from everybody 
as you could get. And so the Bible says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came to him who was covered with leprosy. Luke, the doctor, would certainly know. You know, one of the things when you read the Gospel of Luke, because he's a doctor, you'll see these hints that he looks at things through a physician's eyes. And unlike the other Gospels, he goes, this guy was absolutely permeated with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he bowed down with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice there in the notes, one of the things I thought was important is that he came to Jesus just as he was. He couldn't clean himself up. He couldn't change his condition. He realized that he could not help himself, and he realized no one else could help him but Jesus. Sometimes that's the way we all have to get is we have to get to that desperate condition where we've tried everything else or nothing else has worked. And finally we realize no one else can help me. Nothing else can help me. Only Jesus can help me. Only Jesus can deliver me. And again, there was no chance of him trying to cover up his leprosy. There was no chance of, of coming to him and trying to clean himself up in order to make himself more acceptable. Because that's not the way God ever wants us to come to him anyway. God always wants every one of us to come to him just as we are. He'll take care of it. He'll deal with whatever yuck, whatever leprosy, whatever is permeating our lives, whatever that. He just wants us to be willing to humble ourselves and come and then put ourselves in His hands and He can take care of it from there. We see this man, though, acknowledging Jesus' sovereignty. You'll notice that the leper doesn't never question Jesus' ability to heal. Never. He knows Jesus has the ability to heal him. The only question in the leper's mind is, are you willing to heal? Is this something that you feel within your plan and your will for my life? And I love what Jesus said. He said, I'm willing. Be clean. By the way, I wanted to mention this. Notice that the man... Ask him, ask Jesus to make him clean, to cleanse him, not necessarily to heal him. That's important because the word cleanse means to consecrate, to purify. And yes, obviously implied in that was healing, but more importantly, the man was looking to be clean so that he, in a sense, could rejoin society again, which is why Jesus is going to ask him to do what he does here in just a moment. For the man, it was way beyond just physical healing. For him, he wanted cleansing. He wanted to be purified and consecrated. And he knew that Jesus was the only one that could truly make him clean. I think one of the most powerful things in, in the Gospel of Luke is what we come to next. I have it there as Jesus' compassionate touch. Because notice there... In verse 13, he stretched out his hand, Jesus did, and touched him. Now again, remember, this man probably hasn't had human touch for a long... Nobody would get near lepers. In fact, 
you'd be ceremonially unclean if you got near or touched a leper. And Jesus puts all of that aside and literally touches this man. And by the way, the word touch here doesn't just mean he sort of like does that. The word touch here means to adhere to, to fasten to. Jesus wasn't afraid of wrapping himself around this leper that no one else wanted to even get close to and touch him. And I'm sure that that even, before he was actually cleansed and healed of his leprosy, I'm sure that that meant more to that man than you and I could ever imagine. Just feeling the touch of another human being. And again, it reminds us of who Jesus is. He's willing to touch the untouchable. He's willing to get involved with stuff that is yucky and no one else may want to get involved with it and all of that. But Jesus is willing to get down and get dirty, if you will, in dealing with things. And leprosy, too, is one of those things that it's a skin disease, but it goes deeper than the skin. And that's where Jesus comes in. And then notice I put there that both he and others that came to Jesus were restored for fellowship and service. That's the way God always does it. Because notice, Jesus said, I'm willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left the man. And then he ordered the man to tell no one. And people go, well, why? If Jesus did such a wonderful miracle, why does he not want this man to tell anyone? Well, there was a way to do it. And more importantly than drawing crowds, sensational crowds for Jesus' healing ministry, because that's not why Jesus healed. Jesus didn't want masses following him around just because he was healing people. He wanted this man to go to the priest because in Leviticus, that was going to be a witness and testimony to the priests. And then as he would rejoin society and rejoin, you know, community with God, they would be able to hear what happened to this man. And it would be a witness and testimony that Jesus was the Messiah. Because if you read over in Luke chapter 7, we're going to see that healing lepers was one of the signs of the Messiah. And that there were passages in the book of Leviticus that probably the priests had to dust off that they had never used for who knows how long about how to deal with a leper who had been cleansed and healed. So Jesus wanted to make sure that the priests knew who he was. In fact, he says, go show yourself to a priest, bring the offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded, as a testimony, as a witness to them. But the news about him spread even more and large crowds were gathering together to hear him and to be healed of their illnesses. Now, here's what I want to point out. Again, the word cleansed means to consecrate, to purify, in order to get the man not just healed from his leprosy, but so that he could rejoin society and fellowship. The man so desperately wanted to be around people because he had been isolated for so long. And Jesus Christ was restoring him not only to, to you know, be healed, but to fellowship. And then the word healed here in verse 15 Literally in the Greek means restored to serve. When God heals us, the expectation on God's part is if I make you well, then I'm not just making you well to serve yourself and live however you want to and live for yourself the rest of your life. 
I'm making you well so that then you're responsible to go out and meet other people's needs and serve others. That's the whole reason I'm restoring. Yet Jesus himself, notice, frequently withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. Notice, Jesus always was giving himself space alone with God away from his public ministry. That's so important. I don't care who we are, we cannot continue to minister in public without having powerful time in private. Then notice, 10 minutes, Jesus and the paralytic. Verse 17, I want you to notice the ministry critics. On one of those days while he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting nearby who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now later on in Luke, you're going to find out that these men, the reason why they were coming from everywhere to watch Jesus is because they were religious watchdogs. They were there to try to catch Jesus. They were there to try to find something in order to bring up, in order to, to, to criticize what he was doing. And we're going to see that, you know, later on. Why are you healing on the Sabbath? And why do your disciples, you know, party whenever John the Baptist's disciples don't? And they were always bringing these things up. Ministry critics. Let me say this. When a person gets to a point where they're just looking for something to criticize, you're going to find it. And that's the way these people were. They had gotten to a point where they were just looking for something to be critical about. When you get to that point, that's a, that's a bad place to be. And I've seen people get to that point over the years. And they just become so critical. Instead of focusing on growing and serving, they just sort of keep sitting back and just watching and just picking... You know what? None of us could stand up to that. No ministry could stand up to that. You're gonna, if, if you're looking for something to be critical of, you will find it. No doubt about it. And that's what these religious watchdogs were dogging Jesus all of his ministry. If you're in ministry and you're serving the Lord, don't focus on the ministry critics. That's what Jesus teaches us. Focus on those who are receptive to your ministry. Don't focus on those who just sit around and criticize. Because there's always going to be something to criticize. Which leads me in contrast to the next people, the stretcher carriers. These guys who brought their friend to Jesus. And they are to be commended in many ways. The Bible says in verse 18, Just then some men showed up carrying a paralyzed man on a stretcher. They were trying to bring him in and place him before Jesus, but since they found no way to carry him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down on the stretcher through the roof tiles right in front of Jesus. I love these guys. In some ways, this is a comical story if you think about it. But, but even beyond that, a couple things that these men show. First of all, these are men that just know they just got to get their friend to Jesus. How cool is it to have friends who just know the answer is Jesus, I just need to get my friend to Jesus. Oh, to have friends like that or to be a friend to somebody like that. That's cool. Second, notice their creativity. 
Notice they, okay, we can't get in the front door. Let's go up to the roof and let's lower him. They, they, they show perseverance. They show creativity. Uh, these men show us a lot about what it means to be stretcher carriers, if you will. And it's wonderful to have people in our lives who can be stretcher carriers. God is looking for those who, instead of being ministry critics, sitting around trying to pick apart everything, are those who see that there's so many needs out there. I'm just trying to help people grow and serve and meet needs. I'm just going to try to figure out how to bring them to Jesus. And that's what these stretcher carriers do. And notice the Bible says, when Jesus saw, verse 20, their faith, Not the faith of the paralytic, but the faith of the stretcher carriers. In other words, they obviously had faith that if they could just get their friend to Jesus, everything was going to be okay. Now, I do believe that the paralytic had faith too. He had to have faith to allow them to bring him to Jesus. And he is certainly going to be healed and forgiven. But I think it's just a great example for us. What, again, a contrast between the ministry critics, the religious leaders of Israel, and the stretcher carriers. Is there someone right now in your life that God wants you to be a stretcher carrier for? Maybe they're not a paralytic, but maybe it's somebody that God wants you to be part of bringing them to Jesus. And maybe it's even a Christian who knows Jesus, but who's drifted away or who's struggling right now and who needs encouragement back to Jesus. You and I can always be sort of those stretcher carriers, persistent, persevering, creative, selfless, you name it. That's what God is looking for. You'll notice in this passage, though, Jesus teaches us about the priority of spiritual healing because This man, I'm sure, and the stretcher carriers brought this man primarily to Jesus to have him physically healed of his paralysis. But the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith and said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Because better for this man to die a paralytic and go to heaven than this man to be healed of his paralysis and die and go to hell. And Jesus teaches us the priority of spiritual healing. By the way, I wanted to mention this. The word forgiven here is a powerful word. It means to send away or let go of. To send away or let go of. And the reason that's important for us to remember as Christians is because if we say we have forgiven someone for something then that means we really did let go of it, which means we don't keep bringing it up, which means we don't remember all the specific details about things, when certain things happened and what these people did. If we've let it go, then we've let it go. And we've moved on. And we don't continue to think and focus and dwell on it. Because that's what God does with us. When He forgives us, He lets it go. He casts our sin into the depth of the sea. God doesn't bring our sin up in our face any longer. The devil does. But Jesus doesn't bring it up. He lets it go. He sends it away. So the next time you're around a Christian who says they've forgiven, 
but they keep bringing up something. Or you and I say, I've forgiven, but I keep thinking about what they've done. Then we really haven't forgiven and left it go. The evidence of Jesus' power, obviously, is the fact that he goes along and he heals this man of his paralysis. It sort of reminds us of the message on Sunday. That what took place internally that nobody could see, the forgiveness of sins, Jesus had to give them some outward expression or evidence. And so the outward expression and evidence that he truly could forgive sins was, okay, I'll heal the guy. I'll do both. I can do both. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. You'll notice there that in this passage, too, you see people properly responding to God's work. In verse 25, at the end, the man went home glorifying God. The word glorifying means to magnify, to celebrate, to praise God. That's what God wants to see in his people. Are we celebrating? Are we praising? Are we magnifying God? Then in verse 26, astonishment seized them all. The word astonishment means amazement, wonder. And then it goes on to say, they were filled with awe. You and I, especially as God's children, almost every day, if not every day of our lives, there should be what God is doing in and around us should fill us with a sense of awe and wonder and amazement and just being astounded at God. That's properly responding to God's working. Finally, just a moment, Jesus and the tax collector almost like the leper, even though the tax collector obviously doesn't suffer from anything physically like the leper, he's a leper in everybody's eyes. Tax collectors were hated. Nobody wanted to be around tax collectors. Uh, You know, they worked for the Romans, and so they were despised. Uh, So here Jesus is taking time with a tax collector. Because the Bible says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector. By the way, that little word, saw, is a powerful word. It means to view attentively. (laughs) Unlike us, who may be so busy through our day that we pass people, here the Son of God, the Creator of the universe, did not pass this tax collector. He paused. He took time to pay attention to one that no one else would speak to that no one else wanted to speak to. And I'm sure that made an impression upon Matthew, the tax collector. Obviously, the Bible says his name was Levi. He was sitting at the tax booth. Notice Jesus' offer. Follow me. Walk with me. Accompany me. And notice he said to him, or he's following me, he said to him, and notice what Levi does. He got up and followed him, leaving everything behind. I put there, what a decisive commitment. Sort of like the fishermen, right? I mean, to me, it says a couple of things. One, there had to be an emptiness already existing in Levi's life. I mean, for Levi just all of a sudden to leave again. And and let's say this. When Levi chose to leave being a tax collector to follow Jesus, he left a pretty lucrative business. He gave up a lot of financial and material things in order to follow Jesus. And he did it decisively because there had to be a lack of satisfaction and fulfillment and emptiness in his life. Why else would he be so willing to make such a decisive commitment and just say, yeah, I'm ready. I'm done with this career. 
there's something I see in you already that makes me want to leave this and follow you. And then I just wanted to close here. You can read and study this for yourself. It's a great passage on Jesus' philosophy of ministry. When they start, again, criticizing Jesus, the Pharisees, verse 30, and the experts complaining to the disciples saying, you know, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick do. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. One of the very first things in Jesus' philosophy of ministry is this. If you don't feel like you have a need, then I'm not your man. If you sense your need, I'm your man. I'm for you. But if you don't, if you don't sense you have a need, then my ministry is not going to be very effective because it starts with acknowledging our need of who he is. And then Jesus goes on to talk about wineskins. I just want to mention this because some of you will read this and maybe some of you will wonder what Jesus is trying to say there. When Jesus talks about the wineskins, he's making a couple of different points. First of all, he talks about not putting a patch on wineskins. Jesus' ministry didn't come to just put a band-aid on something or patch it up. He came to bring something totally new. The second thing Jesus is teaching by the wineskins is what Jesus is going to bring to the earth can't be contained in the rigid wineskins. Judaism had become even more rigid than God ever intended for it to be with all these extra rules and regulations that men placed upon each other in their religion. And because of its rigidity, it was never going to explode and, and, and touch men's lives like Jesus was. And so these wineskins weren't going to be able to contain what Jesus was going to do and what he wanted to do. And finally, at the end, notice this. In verse 39, Jesus said, No one after drinking old wine wants a new, for he says the old is good enough. And Jesus is also teaching us there then that if, if you're satisfied with where you are, if you're comfortable with where you are, then again, my ministry is not going to be for you. Because my ministry is going to be for those who aren't satisfied with the old wine. Who aren't satisfied drinking the old stuff. That you see in Jesus something much new and something much better. It's exactly what the author of the book of Hebrews, that's the main theme of Hebrews. Jesus is better than anything else. And if we can see that Jesus, in Jesus it's better than anyone or anything else, then no matter where we are in life, we know I'm not satisfied. There's got to be something more. And that's the philosophy of Jesus' ministry in a nutshell. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you again in this passage of Scripture tonight for reminding us that Jesus pauses and takes time for individuals. Whether those individuals are empty inside, like Levi the tax collector sitting day in and day out at his tax booth. Maybe materially he's doing well, but he's empty inside. You took time for him and you take time for us and people just like Levi. Whether it's someone like the leper, the one that's an outcast, the one who's on the fringe of society, the one that no one else wants anything to do with, 
the one whose problems may be so great that, again, no one even wants to get close. Jesus, you show us again tonight you're willing, willing to touch the leper. You're willing to take time even within your teaching ministry and heal a paralytic. You're willing to take time even though crowds are pressing all around you. You can see the potential in these fishermen over here mending their nets by their boats. And you can see that, Lord, they're going to be great fishers of men. Lord, thank You for taking time for us. Seeing the potential in us. Not being deterred by how sinful we are, what our past has been, what we've done in our past, even where we are right now. But what we could be if we just surrender our lives to Jesus. God, help us not to become ministry critics like the religious leaders of Israel. For Lord, that's a bad place to be. Just sitting around picking things apart. Because guess what? If we get to that point, we can always find something to criticize. But God, help us to be more like the stretcher carriers who are so busy growing themselves and serving you and serving others that they don't have the time to sit around like the ministry critics. God, use this passage in our lives. Help us to learn from your ministry how you want us to be and how you want us to minister to others how you want us to bring honor and glory to you. And help us, Lord, to respond to your working in a way that is fitting. Help us, Lord, to live every day praising and magnifying and celebrating you, living in awe and wonder and astonishment of what you've done in our lives and who you are and what you're doing in other people's lives. God, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, have a great week and see you on Sunday.